What's up, Red Letter Disciples? It is Zach Zender. I'm your host. And in a minute, we're going to be joined by Chris Johnson, my friend and co-host. We have a great conversation today that is going to further the mission of this podcast to challenge you wherever you are to be a greater disciple of Jesus. Because we believe that when great disciples come up, when great disciples really take on the call of Jesus, the world sees a more beautiful greater expression of Jesus and is truly changed when they see Jesus. And so I'm excited about today's episode. We got Stuart Hall coming into the house, into the show, and and we're excited because Stuart is like the student ministry director of student leadership for Orange, probably the most influential student ministry in our nation. He served for three decades in student ministry. And so we're going to talk to Stuart. He was a contributor in a, a book that Orange produced last year called What Most Parents Aren't Telling You. So we're going we're gonna to look at what parents really aren't telling you, what they, what they care about, what's important to them, what they're thinking about, what they're worried about. And then we're also going to flip it and look at Gen Z. This is a passion of mine, a growing passion of mine to help, uh, help us uh, who are older. <laughs> I'm getting old. So I want to help uh, people in my generation and even older to understand what it's like to be uh, in Gen Z. Because uh, they're saying things and they're feeling things that the popular media, you're not hearing about them. So we're going to have a great conversation about Gen Z and what they're experiencing, how we can help them, provide a platform for them, the challenges they're going through, and the great opportunities that exist. And so it's going to be great. Hey, Red Letter Living is the sponsor for today's podcast. We're a company that creates resources that, uh, along with this podcast, that challenge people to be greater followers of Jesus. And so... How are you doing as a disciple of Jesus? Like legitimately, how are you following after him? Are you doing well? Uh, years ago, we created a tool, the Red Letter Challenge Assessment. It's a free online assessment, 40 questions, takes about seven to 10 minutes. And after these 40 questions, here's what's gonna happen. It's gonna rate you in the five targets, being forgiving, serving, giving, and going that we believe are the most important targets of a disciple of Jesus to hit. Not only will it rate you and score you in those, but it will give you practical next steps, no matter if you're doing great or if you're in a growth opportunity for those targets. It is a totally free assessment. Takes seven to 10 minutes. We've had more than 5,000 people go through the assessment and learn some really great data. And we would love for you to take that so you can see how you're doing today as a disciple of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, God has called us to be great disciples. He's given us everything that we need. So go to redletterassessment.com and there you will see that assessment for free. It'll email you all the results. And I hope it really does help you in your walk with God. All right, with that, Let's get to today's episode with Stuart Hall. Let's do this. All right. Well, here we are on the Red Letter Disciple. We got Stuart Hall with us today. Stuart, man, he's been in next generation leadership for more than 30 years. You should get a medal for 30 years of student ministry. I really agree. He's actually the director of student leadership for Orange an incredible ministry that impacts so many lives and churches across our nation and world. And, and they have initiatives to fuel the next generation of leaders uh, worth following. So Stuart's a speaker, a husband, a father, an author, all around great dude. Um, the first time I ran into Stuart was actually reading a book that he was a contributor to called "Most What Most Parents Aren't Telling You that just came out last <laughs> year in 2022. And so I'm excited to bring Stuart onto the show today to talk about the next generation and how we can set them up as great disciples. So what's up, Stuart? Welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. Chris, Zach, <laughs> the greatest showman wearing that jacket. <laughs> I had no idea that Today's episode is sponsored by Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus, but thanks for uh, letting me be a part. There we go, baby. Here's yeah. what I love. You're leading orange. I'm leading red letter. We got orange and red, two colors that are so close. And neither together. one of you are wearing anything. <laughs> I'm the only one sold out to the gimmick. You're welcome. There you go. This would, right, not, this would not be a good episode if neither one of us were wearing anything. That would not be good. We, we have started on a very poor that's note. True, that's true. <laughs> so 30 years of leading students what's your secret is it is it red bull is that what it is how do you do it could be oh gosh that well it's in all seriousness thank you guys i'm honored to be a part of this i i don't know i i thought about this i try really hard i think it was duffy robbins years ago i heard him say that 
uh, teenagers will gravitate to the oldest person in the room who takes them seriously. And I try really hard to take the next generation seriously. Part of the reason why I think I take them so seriously is because my wife, Kelly, and I have three uh, young adult children uh, who have left teenage years, but um, we're at that place in parenting where all of your theories become law. <laughs> like what you what you thought might work, you find out if it really did. Mm. And uh, that's an interesting place to be. So I think I think that's a big part of it. Um, I really want to keep growing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, to be honest, I ask people why they think because I don't get it. Um, I, Kelly and I both want to skid across the finish line with our hair on fire, believing in the next generation. Yeah. But I do think the fact that I, um, when I was sick in 2020, I watched this documentary on the beastie boys. Oh. Um, and I'm old enough to revere the beastie boys, but what you, uh, what you, what you want, <laughs> but 80 rock, one of the beastie boys said, I would rather be a hypocrite than the same person I was 10 years ago. Mm. And, and that's really means a lot to me. I, I want to keep growing. If, if I'm, if I'm the same dude emotionally, mentally, physically, and especially spiritually that I was 10 years ago, it means I've pressed pause. And so I think that has, it may play into it a little bit. Um, and maybe the biggest secret I have, I can, I don't think I've ever had Red Bull. I barely, <laughs> Probably I, a good, good idea. I, that, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that's a great idea, but I can honestly say I'm not sure I've ever had one. So, um, yeah, but more than anything, just believing in the next generation goes a long way in longevity. And I mean, Chris is a 20 year, you know, so you, yeah. you understand that better than anybody. And one one last thing I'd add is I, I'm finding that the older that I get, so youth ministry is really interesting because when I was young, I said things and I did things that I completely regret. Mm. And now I'm in a place in my life where the things that I have to say, I think have 10 billion times more value, but we are so addicted to sexy and youth ministry that you, if you're not careful, you can age out because you're not, the sexy new shiny toy, Whoa. but yet you're actually at a place in your life where you have more to add. Yeah. Yes. Like teenagers need to hear from you more, mean more now, I think than they did then. But because I was skinnier and, you know, maybe funnier or I was more, you know, dope and down with the lingo, uh, they don't, you know, it's just an interesting place. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully my passion for the next generation can override any pseudo lack of relevance. Right. So I, Stuart, I, I, I've been working in youth ministry too. And I think that um, a lot of times the youth of today kind of get looked down upon as entitled. Um, and some of these false narratives, I saw this tweet the other day. I want to read it to you. It's from this. Um, he's a, um, a political science professor, I believe at the Wharton school uh, of business. Adam and Grant. Yes. Yeah. Adam Grant's one of my heroes, man. It, there may not be a smarter, smarter man on the planet than Adam Grant. So I didn't know anything about him, but I saw this tweet and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is fantastic. Let me read it to you. You probably heard it. Teens are often stereotyped as selfish, careless, and vulnerable to bad influence. But the data shows teens engage in many acts of kindness, take plenty of healthy risk, and often resist peer pressure and gravitate toward good role models. Adolescence is a time of growth as well as challenges. I bring that up, Stuart, because I think... I felt the same way now that I'm 49 years old. I'm not the youngest guy in the room anymore, but I think that I've gotten more respect the older that I've gotten just because of what you've said. Like they really, I think parents today are under a tremendous amount of struggle. Many of them are both employed. Many of them uh, are, are working their tails off just to maintain things. 
and it's it's getting harder and harder to have that traditional family meal. And so somebody like you or myself step up and we actually have time to listen. It feels like it's more valued now at 49 than it was at like 22. I could not I could not agree more. I think I, I think teenagers certainly value it more. They are looking for uh, a, a, a significant adult that'll speak truth into their life. Mm-hmm. I hope I can say this here and it's taken the way I mean it, but teenagers have always been this way, but it is especially true of Generation Z. Their BS detectors are so sensitive. 100%. Yeah. And so much of what we tend to do when we're younger they sniff it out as it's a ploy. It's a, it's a gimmick. Are you going to bait and switch me? Correct. Yeah. And I just don't have time to do that. When, <laughs> when you get to a certain age, I think too, having three young adult children and understanding the, the weight of what it is that we're trying to help the next generation do, mm-hmm. they start going, this dude shoots straight with me and he cares. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, I've always made it a point, uh, and I know this is not what we're talking about, and I don't want to talk about me the whole time, but right. I, I've always made it a point to spend more time hanging out with students before I speak mm. and after I speak than the actual time I spend on stage. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that is the le- that leverage goes up. It is amazing, yeah. you know. Uh, you know, uh, proximity covers a multitude of sins when you're communicating to the next generation. Yeah. If they know you care. If they've just had a conversation with you, if you've asked them of where they got their shoes, you know, or you, you compliment somebody, if you don't say everything you wanted to say on stage, they still are with you. Yes. So, um, yes. Sometimes I, I think we misappropriate relevance. It's, it has very little to do with, you know, how cool, someone is as much as it is, you know, (laughs) someone, someone who is dying of thirst to them, a very, very cold cup of water is relevant. Right. Mm -hmm. And you and I can do that. We, if that's true, then there is no such thing as aging out in youth ministry. Yeah. Two points. Uh, and this is something I've learned in the last three years, authenticity, uh, trumps, coolness every time with high school kids. It really does. Authenticity trumps coolness. And I've, I've always said, even to my wife, I'm not trying to be cool. I'm just trying not to be the biggest dork in the room, (laughs) but uh, you know, like I'm just trying to maintain at, at this point. Here's the other thing. And tell me if this rings true with you about 10 kids today will tell me things that I wouldn't have told my best friend in high school. Mm-hmm. I like, I don't know if it's because of social media or what, but, and you started to touch on it. These kids will talk when they know you care about them. They'll right. listen when they actually know that you care. If they have no idea that you care, that's why I think it's so important what you do, spending that time before and after, because if they have no relationship with you, you're just going to be another teacher that's wah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And we're going to get into this later, I think, in our discussion. But a lot of that has to do with the complete or almost complete lack of trust in institutions. Yes. And they are they are searching for people that they can trust. And and hopefully we can talk about this in a second. But one of the questions we have to ask ourselves as parents and as leaders of the next generation, how safe are you? Are you a safe place for a young lady or a young man to be able to to tell you things? Because, you know, they (laughs) good Lord in the political, racial, institutional unrest we've had. And that institutional unrest, by the way, includes the church. Because when we look at what's happening in the Catholic church and the Southern Baptist church specifically with sexual assault issues, mm-hmm. the next generation is, they are the, they are the smartest, most educated generation in the history of our country. Uh, they're not dumb. So, right. Once once they feel like you're a safe place, they're going to tell you things that you and I would have never shared before. Yeah, that's what's shocking. Yeah. And part of the goal of this specific episode is I want to kind of give a, a more 
I feel like fair understanding of what the next generation, specifically Generation Z, is really about. Because I, th- I think the the pop popular opinion has been obliterated when you look at what actually the statistics and what specific examples are saying. So let me back up a little bit and just ask this this question because. Gen Z is not the first one to get bashed on by previous generations. True. I'm a millennial. Um, oh. I'm on the high side of it. And yeah, we we had our share of people ripping on, you know, uh, mm. on us. And we weren't the first ones either. Baby boomers got it from their previous. And so why is it that the older generation always feels like they have to tear down or cut down the next generation? Get off my lawn. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I agree. I have- the millennials were too focused on avocado toast for a while. <laughs> Some of the stuff is fair. So I get it. But yeah, why is that natural tendency to cut down or to tear down what's coming after us? If there is a way that I could generally summarize, I actually had this pinned on my Twitter account for a year to remind me. It is human nature, and we all have a tendency to believe that we are the default setting for the human experience, and everybody else is another. Mm. And it especially holds true when you're looking at people who are younger than you. We all think that I, my experience as a human is the default setting for the world and everybody else is another. My dad did it to me. I tend to do it to my children. But if there is a way that we could just get out of our head, (laughs) I am not the default setting for the human experience. And there is no such thing as another. Mm. Perhaps that would change this. And it is. It's generational. There's a part of me that thinks that the only generation that maybe could have said that is the one that stood up to Hitler and in World War II. Mm. I think there. Well, just because we've always considered them the greatest generation. And when you consider the sacrifices that that generation made for the sake of the world, Mm -hmm. um, that's huge. But for everybody else, and even even within that generation, there has to be some, some ownership of the fact that this generation is different. And we're going to talk about that. This generation, the greatest generation did not go through and did not experience what this generation is going through. So it would be a very interesting experiment if we could to allow some of the things that have happened to Generation Z to have happened to the greatest generation. We can't do that. But um, I, 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 I certainly think that's the part of the reason why we always tend to poop on the generation after us. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good word choice for, for what we do. (laughs) So so I want to look at a couple things in this episode. I want to look at what like parents are thinking. uh, And that's where I first ran into you as a Mm -hmm. contributor in that book, what most parents aren't telling you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I, so I want to look at like what parents are thinking. And then I want to look at what Gen Z is thinking. And hopefully Mm -hmm. we can, if we have a Gen Z you're listening, hopefully they can understand a little more of what a parent's thinking. I I think we all need to be in on this. And so, yeah, in that book, uh, you said, the number one concern for parents, both Christians and non-Christians parents, is the mental health of their children. Um, I, I read not long ago that the average Gen Zer has as much anxiety today as a psychiatric patient patient would in the 50s. And so I asked my dad like th- about this question, and he said like this wasn't even even on his or my mom's radar mm-hmm. 25, 30 years ago when they were raising me. But, but, but it is now. And so what happened, like what changed and what, what can we do about that? So that's very insightful on your part, Zach. I, one thing that I think to, that needs to be stated from the beginning, and I am an intri- integral part of the research that we do with Orange, and we consider that an important service to faith communities and families all across the country. Data is not truth. Mm-hmm. What data does is it informs you to ask better questions. So to take a statistic and go, well, that's empirical truth is dangerous, especially if we don't ask better questions rooted in the data. So data isn't truth. That's important to consider. The second thing that I would add before I talk about what's happened is every sociologist that I have ever studied will tell you that culture tends to move in 20-year shifts. So what that means is that what we are experiencing 
2023 is the cumulative effect of what has happened over the last 20 years. So when you ask the question, what, what happened, what changed? If data isn't truth, it informs a better question. The better question for us to ask if culture moves in 20 year shifts is what has happened over the last 20 years. Yeah. Because that's part of the reason why Generation Z has the loneliness, anxiety, pan that pandemic, by the way, was going on long before COVID-19. Psychologists, psychiatrists were telling us we are in pandemic mode with this generation. So what was happening, what has happened over the last 20 years that has created the cumulative effect? And this is just off the top of my head. September the 11th. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First time our country has been attacked on our soil. Recession of 2008, squeezed in between September the 11th and, set, and, and the recession of 2008, is the birth and the, and the genesis of social media. Mm-hmm. The internet had really caught its legs, like got traction during that time. So what that means is now every, you know, Generation Z, they are digital natives. We're the digital immigrants. Right. They've always lived with that but they've lived in a constant state of comparison and anxiety because they've, they've grown up comparing mm-hmm. their behind the scenes with everybody's highlight reel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, an, another thing that I think we have to consider is the political, racial and institutional unrest. That's a contributor to what's happened. Uh, we are generation e is the, generation Z is the first post Christian generation in the history of our country. Um, and that has a lot of underminings that come along with it. But basically, the idea of absolute truth has kind of gone away. And it's also exposed, in my opinion, it's exposed some of the theological collateral damage. I think that comes along with that as well. So that's just a small sample of what's happened over the last 20 years that I think has contributed yeah. to their why they are so anxiety ridden. The other thing too, that I would mention, um, and I just read an article, Stephanie Koontz, she's a, a historian with, um, I think it's the council on family values. She talks about the fact that, uh, for the longest time, the family was rooted in mutual obligations And now family is rooted in mutual understanding. Hmm. Think about it this way. Back in the day, you got a job to make sure that you were supporting your family or helping the family. And interestingly enough, I do a lot of work in, in the uh, middle, in middle America and Iowa and places like that, where there's a ton of farmland. That's Mm -hmm. where he's from, by the way. Good point. And, and, Chris, you can attest to this. One of the things that is happening to the American farmer is that their children are growing up not necessarily aspiring to take over the American farm. Absolutely. Whereas before it used to be an obligation. Oh, what it was they, just unwritten. You're going to do right. it. This yeah. is what you're going to do. Right. But, but what they do want, what children do want is understanding. And so there's a generation behind us that of going, what about the obligation? This generation is going, well, you don't even understand me. Mm-hmm. So all of that creates this crazy chaos where the next generation is having a difficult time coping with what does the future mean for them? How does the past relate to to who I am and where are we presently? You know, you brought something up, Stuart, and you kind of just uh, touched on it. And as a parent of an 18 year old and a 14 year old, I um my girl was first and I didn't allow her to have any social media like through middle school, high school. And boy, did, was that a battle every day of my life? Mm -hmm. My son is really into um, producing videos and things. And so we kind of at the age of 14, let him have social media. And then my daughter was like, what's this all about? Anyway, long story. (laughs) Um, But like, how do you navigate that? Because I think you, you hit on something very, very important. You know, when we were in high school, if, um, you know, we didn't get invited to a party, right. Um, We didn't know about it, you know, maybe for a couple of weeks. 
uh, now they know about it instantaneously because their friends are tagging each other and uh, or uh, even more so like if I had an argument with somebody at school and I went home uh, it was over until I had to deal with it the next day mm-hmm. uh, now these kids today they it's like they're digitally connected so much and it's not even an authentic relationship it's exactly what you said they're viewing highlights of other people's lives and then they're like wow my life really sucks compared Mm -hmm. to what's going on how did you navigate that as a parent not well um (laughs) it does make me think though it's uh this is maybe a little chasing a rabbit but me us growing up without social media if you got busted when you were my age, you were the dumbest person ever. Right, right, right. <laughs> based based on this, I was, our, pretty, I was pretty dumb. Then, <laughs> yeah, but but as a parent, I have the capacity to track my children. Right. When I was growing up, I could have. How in the world did I get busted by by my parents because they had no way to know where I am? Right. Whereas we we can know where our kids are all the time. That is yeah. me chasing a rabbit. But, <laughs> but no, no, I get the, you. The 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 truth of the matter is, Chris, I applaud you because um all of the data informs us that a a middle school student cannot even under begin to understand abstract abstract thought until puberty kicks in. Mm. So the idea of handing them a computer in their hand where they have to navigate a ton of abstract ideas is foolish at best. Yeah. I wouldn't, I would never dare tell a parent how to parent. Sure. Why? Because there's no such thing as a parenting expert. Right. That's like saying diet gravy. It doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I think you might be onto something though. Anyone who leads with, I am a parenting expert, run as fast as you can. Yeah, I agree. Because they've obviously never parented. Right. But it doesn't seem wise for us to hand a machine to a middle school student who cannot even understand abstract. Mm where so much of social media is abstract. Yeah. So that's first and foremost. Uh, The only thing I think we did well is, you know, we wouldn't let them, we wouldn't let our kids have their phone in their room until their senior year, Mm -hmm. uh, simply because we didn't want to send them away. And all three of our children have gone away to school. We didn't, we, we didn't want to send them away, not equipped. So there, there is this interesting, you know, give and take of, we want you to be wise enough to keep it here. And then we're also going to allow you to have it while you're still under the influence of our home. So if there are problems that arise, we can help you tackle it oh, yeah. before, you, before you go away. Right. That's, that's probably remotely the w- only thing we did well. <laughs> um, but our kids are also, our son is right on the line of Generation Z. Our two daughters are the ones who are in the epicenter of it. And it was still a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the question we have to ask ourselves, um, someone, wisely has, someone wisely said, it is easy to appear a lion tamer in a land where there are no lions. <laughs> and... There are parents and leaders listening to this. We could all draw a line in the sand and say, no phone, no social media. It's completely off limits. Yeah. But eventually you have to release those children into the wild. Yes. And I just propose that it is much better for them to learn while they're under the influence of our home than when they're by themselves. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too is like, this is where grace for everybody is so important. Like we're the first generation of parents to have to deal with raising kids with these devices. No question. And so we don't know. We're figuring it out. And so the other thing would be great is if all of us as parents said, no, the rule is it's going to be this date. That's when people can get their first phone. This is when they can get their first social media account. This is when they can do this. If all of us held by that, great. But they don't. And so we have to then now be caved in because other parents make those decisions. And now our kids are coming back and it's it's difficult. So I, I get irritated because like I feel like 
I am spending a lot of time making sure my kids don't screw up. Like I'm watching Bark, I'm watching Live 360, and I'm like, now I feel like a bailiff at a prison, you know? <laughs> and and so I've kind of come back a little bit on that. Yeah. But and my kids have both screwed up, you know? Like yeah. and 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 so we've been able to have those conversations. Like oh, I don't think this is it, yeah. this was not what it was intended for, you know? Right. And, right. And part of the reason why I think a lot of parents draw a hard line in the sand, to your point, Chris, is they don't want their kids to screw up. Right. Um, or they don't want to screw up as parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, this, that's a good point. So, so, and what we do when we don't want to screw up as parents is we either draw a really hard line and, and say you can't, or we have no line and say, go ahead, because we don't want to be seen as, the fuddy-duddy. And, right. and the other thing to consider, my generation of parents, those of us parenting generation Zers, we are the first generation in the history of our country that has not looked forward to growing up. We are doing everything we can to not grow old. Mm. My parents could not wait to have kids, grandkids, sit in a rocking chair, die. It was like their goal. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many friends I have who post my age, who post more than their kids with red solo cups in their hand at concerts, Mm -hmm. who are always at lifetime fitness, Mm. who are having surgery. We are fighting aging. Mm. And what comes along with that is us not wanting to, in our minds, repeat the way we were parented because our parents our parents were a little more strict than us and to your point there was no social media right so instead of being helicopter parents or snowplow parents we become Carrie Underwood parents Jesus take the wheel you're just going to have to have them i don't know what to do with them i'm going to oh. trust you i don't and think i've heard that term what's a snowplow parent a snowplow parent is some, instead of preparing the child for the path you prepare the path for the child Oh, have you heard that? No, that's, I, that's awesome. I mean, that's horrible, but it's, right. you know, it's <laughs> so good terminology. Yes. So uh, for a lot of us, what we've done is, and we do it in the, in the name of, we don't want to repeat the mistakes of our parents. Mm. But in reality, if our children have no one to guide us, it, it is always going to be this delicate balance. And Chris, to encourage you, our children are different. Like every kid is different. Yeah. 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 So the, the reality is all of it. If you have multiple children in your home, you may have a child who is much more prepared mm. earlier. Yes. Than someone else. And that was and exactly. Then, and, then we, and then we get in this battle of fairness, which, you know, I, I, think, I, I don't, I think we need to treat everybody equally, but not fairly. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And that's kind of what happened in our family. I knew that one wasn't emotionally prepared to deal with the ramifications and the other one was was okay at a little. But it, you brought up something and it just brought me back to like 1981. I was at like eight or nine years old and I had a grandparent who wanted to teach me like the practical things of life. So he wanted to teach me how to solder. And so he got this, um, he got this crystal radio kit and he said, I'm only going to tell you this one time. I'm only going to tell you this one time when you solder, never like you always want to have the tip down. I'm only going to tell you that once. And so I'm soldering this crystal radio together and it's coming together and I'm getting super psyched. He's watching me. And I turned that tip upside down and I burnt my hand. Sure. Whoa, mama, that hurt. And he's and he looked at me and he goes, What'd you learn? Mm -hmm. I said, Never turn that tip upside down, you know. And 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 the thing is, I don't know if I would have done that with my kid, you know. Right. But I never turned the tip upside down. So I understand now more like my grandpa was not a snowplow grandparent, you know. Like he he was not a helicopter parent. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, my dad, my dad when I was 12, threw me the keys to his truck and said, drive up to your uncle's house and go cut his grass. I'd never <laughs> driven a car. <laughs> and, the antithesis. Oh, and, oh. and it was a stick. Oh there my go. goodness. Did you keep it in first and just go? <laughs> I, I can remember sweating bullets on the way to my uncle's house. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and our son tells a story that when my dad, 
uh, when he was young, my dad did the same thing to him. Wow. Um, as his as his pops, you know. And I would never do that. I was gonna and say, can you imagine doing that? No. Your wife would probably kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, she's probably in the other room going, You did what? what? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so with all the things that have happened the last 20 years, and especially we spent some good time there talking through like tech and devices and phones. Yeah. So parents are landing on, they're really thinking about the mental health of their kids. Mm. Unlike previous generations of parents, what else, is there anything else from the data in, in that particular, what most parents aren't telling you that was striking or stood out to you that we should be aware of? Yeah, there's a couple of things. One thing that after we were com- we completed it, and I'll try to do this quickly, there is no such thing as an insignificant parenting value. Like one of the things that stood out to me after we were done is that every single piece of data is significant because there isn't an, there is no such thing as an insignificant uh, parenting value. Um, if you've looked at the book, we we group every we grouped everything into four basic categories: what do parents want, what do parents fe- fear what do parents feel? And then uh, where do parents go to help, go for yeah. help? Um, the thing that stood out to me about what parents want, uh, and I wrote this down just to make sure I get it right. The top three things all parents want, which is mental health, access to opportunities and character development. So the general population and Christian parents are the same. Yeah. Hmm. Which there's a way to read that. One way to read that is what is wrong with Christian parents? <laughs> yeah. Give us those three again, mental health, and then you said? Mental mental health, access to opportunities, and character development. Okay. The general population of parents and Christian parents, those are the same. Hmm. And again, data isn't truth. It helps you ask better questions. So maybe the better question is, okay, why are they the same? And could it be that what it really is saying is that all moms and dads are the same? Like, we, they want the same thing. They they want the same, you know, that's that value is the same. Uh, what parents fear, three uh, of the top five parenting worries are the same between generational and Christian parents, which was interesting. Uh, and the three are healthy eating and nutrition, proper rest and sleep, and the responsible use of technology. Hmm. Uh, the The general population feared uh, anxiety and bullying in their top five. And then Christian parents fear influence of friends. And this one's interesting, religious faith. They, they fear feared, like they fear that they want, that their kids won't, that that will be important in their kids' lives. Is that what that means? Zach, I think what you're doing is you're, you're, you're dealing with the data. Yeah. Like it, it should cause us to ask some really important questions. What is it that you fear about that idea? Um, it could be what you're saying. My mm-hmm. son or daughter is going to grow up without any sort of foundational faith. It could also mean in our day and age that institutional religion, I don't want my son or daughter to become religious. Yeah. I want them to trust Jesus and walk with him. And those are two different things. I found it interesting, you know, <laughs> who's it? Second Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of sound mind. Unless you're a parent in America in 2022, <laughs> 2023, um, because we fear. And then I, my uh, area of focus in the research, um, if you've read it, we did uh, ethnic focuses. Mm. And mine were, were on Caucasian parents. And uh, as the majority race in America, I found this incredibly interesting. And I summarized it this way. White parents feel isolated ill-equipped and scrutinized more than any other parent group of any ethnicity, Hmm. but worry less. (laughs) It's so backwards. They they feel that way, but they worry less and prioritize the importance of their kids' faith less than parents of any other ethnicity. Hmm. The difference in priority of faith for white parents was more than 24% than any other ethnicity. Huh. And I think what it says, um, I think white families, be, and, you know, maybe the best way to put this is that privilege has its privileges, mm. but white families tend to fade towards subjectivity as it relates to faith and faith communities. Um, Rich, Richard Rohr says that 
Many have used their faith for order, certitude, and a predictable family or tribe. And then they call it objective truth when it's actually very subjective. A lot of what's happening with the majority in America is that faith community really doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean. And so I think that's part of the reason why there's that gap. I could say more to that um, because that part is really, really intriguing to me. yeah, I think that's fascinating, and 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 that's where I I, I found myself really. Uh, one, I love I love data because I think it yeah it informs hopefully some questions that we haven't thought about, and it's very eye opening just to see some of these things and to see where we're at today. Yeah. And and and, and, and most, to, can do to about be, it. Yeah, to be fair, Zach, most most moms and dads of faith, Christian parents, we want to build. Empire State Building faith on a chicken coop foundation. Okay, talk to me about that. I like that. We want spiritual giants, but we don't prioritize faith. And even, even in the top three things that parents value, general population and Christian parents, character development is in the top three for both. But to borrow from a very famous college football coach, greatness takes what it takes. Like there is no way around how you get that. Like yes. you don't you don't accidentally get a strong faith. It has to be intentional. Um, so I think that speaks volumes to us as moms and dads, because no matter how you slice or dice it, whether you are a faith leader watching and listening to this, a parent, or the next generation. Your mom and dad, regardless, parents, regardless of where they are in their spiritual journey, are the primary spiritual influence in the life of their children. Mm. If we don't wake up to that reality in youth ministry, we will fail the next generation because we have to help mom and dad re-engage in the spiritual priority and conversations and formation in their children. That's good. Yeah. There's just no way you can get around. And I still, you remember seeing a visual, I think actually put out by orange, I think Reggie Joyner and the team there that just talked about, um, and it it was a visual. So it it had, I think the 40 hours uh, a a year that a church may have with Hmm. a child. And that's like best case if they show up a lot versus the 3000 some hours that a parent has in the course of a, a normal year to disciple their kids and just, and so it, it's a responsibility to be a parent. It's also an opportunity. Yeah. And, and, and so I think each parent can kind of hear what they need to hear from this. And, and what I hope parents feel in this is, as we're going to look at Gen Z in just a minute, it's hard. It's hard to be a parent in no the question. day that we're living in. And so grace upon grace, for sure. But like, you're still a parent. <laughs> That's what right. I want to say. And so right. the, you said earlier, the Jesus take the wheel approach. No, let's get involved. Right. Let's let's not complain about, oh, our kids are always on dev- devices. Like you're the parent. You have right. a role in that. You can say no. So like, I don't have it figured out perfectly by any means. And it's not always fair. Like we just talked right. about, but Is that, can I speak to that quickly? Yeah. All three of our children uh, play college sports, which meant, their middle school and high school experience was in athletics, which obviously there is this invisible battle between the church and sports. I, to what you were talking about, and I'll use our youngest daughter as an example. Um, She just finished her soccer career at the university of Florida. Dead religion is our daughter sitting in church, thinking about playing soccer. Hmm. Hmm. authentic faith is our daughter bawling on a soccer pitch thinking about how do I make much of Jesus while I do this? Hmm. That's what we're after. Yeah. If we get down to it and the, what that means is that the church needs to be a part of that faith community needs to be a part of that. But mom and dads need to understand that our children are going to pick up on that 10 billion times more as it relates to what we do, how we speak, the example that we set at home, more so than what happens within the four walls of a church. 
And the reason why orange is called orange, yellow, light of the world, the church, red, the heart of our world, the family, if we can combine those two things together, you get orange. That We've got to do that. Mm-hmm. And moms and dads, we can do it, but it's going to mean we have to own our responsibility as parents. That's good. So... Stuart, I want to talk for a little bit about Gen Z then too, because I just believe they are uh, grossly misunderstood. Mm. Um, and, and so they're, they're dealing with a lot of things. They're described as the loneliest, most socially awkward, identity confused, and least religious generation that America's seen. But on the flip side, they are the most educated. They're the most diverse. They're the most justice-driven that our nation's ever seen. And, and through a series of events last year, um, I, my heart just really opened up more for this generation than, than it was previous. And I've also got two boys that are mm-hmm. yeah, right in it. They're uh, 15 mm-hmm. and 11. And so when you look at G- Generation Z and all that you know, I, I want to know like what brings you joy and what brings you concern. Uh, this may be surprising. What brings me joy is their faith. Uh, you mentioned that they are the least religious, but that <laughs> does not mean they're not following Jesus. Uh, I wrote this down to make sure I said it clearly. The next generation's faith is not their parents' faith. Mm. It's different. I think it's better. It's more authentic. It's brave. It's Jesus-centered, and it's rooted in love. We have assumed, and I think wrongly, that the past two years of the pandemic, political unrest, racial unrest, will mean that their faith is waning there's a recent study came out that a third of Generation Z says that their faith actually grew when they couldn't go to church. So that should tell us something. Um, they're going to get a lot of things wrong, but they're also going to get a lot of things right. And one of the things that they will get right, <laughs> and this is going to sting a little bit, but they're going to hold their parents accountable to the things their parents taught them. Uh-oh. Because their parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Are you sure about that? Uh, no, I'm just I think moms and dads have always said that Jesus is love and this generation is going, yep. Hmm. And so maybe what it means, and this stings even more, is not necessarily honor your mom and dad. It's mom and dad be honorable. Hmm. Be worthy of being honored. And, and be okay with the fact that your, your kid's faith is different and it's surpassed yours. Kelly and I've had to own that as moms and dads. Our, our kids' faith is, our son a couple of months ago looked at me and said, Dad, do you want my life to exemplify the values, example, and teachings of Jesus, or you just want it to look like yours? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, That's a big question. And I said, I hate you, and you're acting like your mom. <laughs> but he was right. So I, I, their faith, and you mentioned this, the, their, their commitment to justice issues. You know, yeah. I, I keep an article on my, on my computer of five teenage girls that led a 10,000 peaceful protest march in Nashville during, after George Floyd yeah. um, partnered with the police department. with teenagers. Mm. Uh, if I'm being very vulnerable, my wife and I both grew up in deep South Alabama which means we have walked by Confederate statues all of our young life. This generation, I walked by them and thought, no big deal. This generation walks by them and, go and goes, why are those there? Mm-hmm. So there's something so magnetic about that that excites me. Um, and I can also understand why it scares the, the generations past. Mm-hmm. Um, But I would say those two things are the things that bring me joy. The thing that I think, did you ask about pause? Like what gives me, what gives me, what gives you concern? I'm concerned about the bait and switch we're doing as it relates to social media. We are, we are prompting a generation and baiting them to market and sell their gifting, their selves on social media. And then we will shame them if, if they go too far. Mm -hmm. I, I think (laughs) this is kind of off subject, but I don't think so. I think that's what's going on in college athletics with the transfer portal. 
uh, we've raised a generation of young men and women who get all of this acceptance and accolades from the attention that they get on marketing themselves and social media. And then they go to a school and realize, oh, playing college sports is hard and nobody is giving me the same kudos that they did when I was posting all my highlight stuff. And so they'll go, well, let me get in the portal so I can go all, go do that all over again. Mm-hmm. So that scares me to death. I am I, I have m- much pause for that because it's not just athletes. We're doing it with so many of them. And here's the sign that it's a problem. Adults marking themselves, adults post a ton on social media and they call it marketing. Teenagers post a bunch on social media and we call it addiction. Mm. Hmm. We, we, we really need to think about that because I think that's troubling. Um, and then the thing that I'm most concerned about is I am afraid that faith communities are going to insist that the next generation believe long before they can belong. I think with, uh, the multi, you know, they're the most multiracial generation in the history of our country. They are the most sexually fluid generation in the history of our country. Country with all the gender issues that we have, a big question for us as faith communities is simply this: Are you willing to offer unconditional belonging long before belief? That's good. And let me take it a step further: Are you willing to? Are you willing to offer unconditional belonging if even if they never believe? Yeah. And if we don't wrestle with those questions, we the ch- the capital C church in the West, but especially America, will lose the next generation. Yeah, because most of us who are older, we grew up during a time where identity drove belonging. I am old enough; I didn't grow up in church, but when I did start going, what I realized is it was easy for me to pick out my people because identity drove. Oh. Those are the jocks. That's where I'm going. That's who I'll hang out with. Not today. Today, belonging drives identity. Who will accept me for me? And those are the people that I'll be okay feeling like I I belong here. So I can start identifying with this. And please please understand this, why it's so important theologically and spiritually, is because we're telling a generation that Jesus loves you just as you are. But yet we're acting as if, no, 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 you need to change who you are to be a part of this. That that to this generation doesn't compute. Yeah. And when I think of Jesus, like he had that invitation far more. Actually, he says, follow me than believe in me. And so that idea that as we follow and as we open up our spaces and places uh, for real connection to happen, you know, we hope belief comes and and by the way it's the holy spirit's job so we'll just keep doing what we do and and let the spirit move so one of the things Stuart, that really opened uh, my heart and ears last year was a study that church of the highlands commissioned in birmingham alabama uh, one of the largest most influential churches in our nation they did a survey of middle and high school kids uh, who are Gen Zers, and literally thousands of responses. And so, and they said, we want to know what you're thinking. And so the question, they framed it like this, I wish my parents knew, and then fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And and so the responses were incredible to me. I want to I just read them. And then I want you to pick one or two to maybe, maybe expound on, uh, because I, I think what I hear in these responses is so different from what I hear in the popular opinion or the media mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. So let me just read these and, and pick one or two that like, yeah. So th- again, the survey, I wish my parents knew fill in the blank. So here we go. I wish my parents knew that even though my actions don't always show it, I desperately want to please them. I wish my parents knew how much I love you, even though I don't always say it. I wish my parents knew how much I treasured their advice, even when I acted like I couldn't care less. <laughs> I wish my parents knew, I wish my dad knew how much I loved holding his hand, even when I would act like it embarrassed me in front of my friends. Hmm. I wish my parents knew that when they wouldn't let me date a guy and acted mad, I was really thankful that they were fighting for me. (laughs) I wish my parents knew that instead of threatening to punish me, I needed them to do it. Or when I saw them fight all the time, it really messed me up. Wish my parents knew their words impact me more than any others. Things they don't remember saying have changed my life. 
I wish my parents knew I, that I could be open with them about my mistakes. I wish my parents knew the evils I face every day. I wish my parents knew how hard it is to stay pure. And those are things that we just don't hear from Gen Z. What's one or two for you as a dad of a Gen Zer that sticks out? One or two? Good. <laughs> I know, man. Um, you know, Kelly, are, Kelly and I are at that stage. And if you're a parent listening, watching, you'll get there where our children are open and trust us enough where they're telling us all the things that we did good as parents and all the things we did bad. <laughs> so moms and dads, you have that to look forward to. <laughs> uh, I think, I think two of those that, I mean, all of them stand out because it's interesting what happens with a teenager when they feel like I can be completely yeah. honest. Um, I, I think the one that uh, hit me was, I wish I wish I could be open with you about my mistakes. Mm. Um, and I say this with all the love and respect in my heart. And I'm this is more indicting personally than it is for all of us as parents, as faith communities, as youth leaders. We cannot measure how safe we are by how safe we say we are, yeah. or how safe we want to be. We measure how safe we are as a parent, as a church, as a youth leader. By the secrets that kids have been brave enough to tell us. Mm. And if our kids don't feel, if we're, if we're not hearing the stories, they don't feel safe. Mm. I wish I would have been safer as a parent. And None of that is intentional. Yeah. Because sometimes, like even the first thing you said about you, you have no idea how much I want to please you. Sometimes you can make up your mind that this is a home of unconditional love. But if you're trying to set a good example, it feels like an impossible standard for your kids and you didn't even mean it to be. So that can get misinterpreted. But the other one that stands out to me, and a lot of this has to do with work that we're doing at Orange, is uh, how hard it is to, to be pure. Mm. Um, we are raising our children in a cesspool, and we cannot be shocked if they get some stink on them. And we, we either sequester them into a commune where they never are exposed to anything, or we help them... We help them become healthy sexual beings. Mm -hmm. I think we, I, I, I would propose that we have to change our language. I, I'm not sure because of the cesspool that they live in. I, I'm not sure purity and pure is the right standard anymore. I think it has to be sexual integrity. How do we help the next generation have sexual integrity? Um, and by sexual integrity, I mean, the way we define it is guarding my potential for intimacy um, by establishing appropriate boundaries and my respect for the other. Mm. Um, because the reality is we are all a part of a, a time where purity culture was real and the residue of that is dangerous. Um where young ladies feel responsible for a young man's purity. Yeah. And that's dangerous hmm. because here's a heads up moms and dads and youth leaders. Young women are not responsible for a young man's purity or his thought life. That's his responsibility. That is on him. Mm -hmm. And th that is the residue of us holding the standard of purity so high in a, in a cesspool. It it's, impossible those are the two things that stand out but i could talk about them all yeah no, we're already way over time so i'm sorry no i no, please don't be I, I could talk forever about this stuff and and you know what I, the safe place thing was interesting because I, i've seen the research that actually says if there's trust this generation coming up is more open to an accountable uh relationship than any previous generation if yeah. there's trust and so that's what 
what we're really hoping for. Stuart, man, yeah, I could, we could go forever on this and, and you've been incredible. So we ask all our guests kind of the last question, if you could challenge our listeners, our audience with one thing to be a greater disciple this week, what would you issue for our, our listeners? <laughs> I knew I was going to get this question and I started thinking, uh, I would ask every single adult watching and listening to this to reconsider Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where Jesus says to everybody listening, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. It's, you know, it's that classic highway to hell verse we've always used. I would propose that the way we've taught that is completely incorrect. Mm. And here's the reason why. Matthew 7 sits in the epicenter of, in my opinion, Jesus' greater utter, greatest utterances. It's a part of the Beatitudes, his Sermon on the Mount. Right. And consider the fact of what he's talking about the entire time. And everything he's talking about the entire time is how you treat other people, how you love other people, being a peacemaker, love for your you know, enemies, giving to the needy. And the verse before it, he says, do to other people whatever you would have them do to you. And then he says, enter through the narrow gate, for broad is the road that leads to destruction. But, you know, small is the gate, and narrow is the road to lead to life, and only a few people found it. Us teaching it the way we've taught it would be the equivalent of watching Save It Private Ryan and calling it a romantic comedy. <laughs> Because the context doesn't support what we've said. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I would propose that the narrow way is the way of love. The narrow way is the way of Jesus. What he, the reason why so few find it is because <laughs> it's, it's not predictable. The broad way, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to treat you the way you treat me. Everybody does that. Yeah. But what would change in our churches? What would change in our homes? What would change in our marriages? And certainly what would change in our relationships with our children? If I just followed in the way of Jesus, if I love my kids the way Jesus loved me, it would change everything. That would be my challenge. Mm. Jesus centered. That's what we love about it. That's, that's why that's absolutely beautiful. And so, Stuart, man, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you these days? Well, I was so long-winded. I'm sure everybody's gotten enough, and they're like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> You're good. No. I'm so sorry that we went way Don't over. be sorry. Oh, no, no, that's stop. great. Uh, that's awesome. All, all my social media stuff is really easy. I am Stuart Hall, um, Instagram and Twitter. I'm not on Facebook because talking about cesspools. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, Twitter's I, not much better, pal. Yeah, I don't, need, I don't ever look at Twitter. <laughs> I just have... But I am Stuart Hall um, on all that stuff. And then pe if people want to, I, you know, I, part of my responsibility at Orange is to inter interact and be a friend to youth leaders and parents. So uh, shall at thinkorange.com. You can email me and I promise you, I will email you back. Even if you hate my guts, <laughs> I will pass that on to Reggie Joyner. There you go. <laughs> Stuart, man, you've been a blessing. Thanks, dude. We'll put all those notes in the show links as well in the show notes. And uh, man, thanks for what you're doing and, and uh, really guiding an important, crucial conversation for us today. Well, Absolutely. Again, I hope it wasn't too long. There's just so much right. to talk about and I'm uh, geeked about it. And uh, the greatest showman just got me going. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we'll yeah. do a 2.0 someday. All right, Stuart. Bless yeah. me, bro. Thank you. Oh, thank you. What a, what a meaningful conversation we had with Stuart. I just loved his sincerity and how genuine he was with his answers and how prepared he came. Uh, you can tell he really cares. And, and I hope you do too. And I hope hope today, if it's like you're, you've always been a little... I don't know, negative or kind of down on future generations that are coming up that, that you would flip that and that you can be a real help to fight for the next generation. Um, 
So I hope today's episode was helpful. If it was, will you rate and review and tell somebody, tell a friend about it, share it on social, tell them in person. We would love to continue to, to do these podcasts for you because we really genuinely want you to grow in your faith. And that's what this podcast is about. That's what our sponsor today, Red Letter Living is all about. If you didn't hear in the intro, Take the free Red Letter Challenge Assessment at redletterassessment.com. That's where you can find out how you're really doing as a disciple of Jesus. One of the things that I'm passionate about is not just talking about this stuff, but but how, how can I actually help you become a greater disciple? Where are you at today? And so the Red Letter Assessment is going to measure you according to the five targets, be, forgive, serve, give, and go, that we believe were the most prominent out of the mouth of Jesus. And it'll give you real next steps. And so you can go to redletterassessment.com to take that assessment, seven to 10 minutes, totally free. If you're like, ah, I forgot the link, hey, go to redletterpodcast.com. And that'll have the link for that. And it'll have all of Stu materials and some of the highlights from today's episode next week i'm really excited we're, i'm bringing my friend tanner olson onto the show tanner olson is an author uh speaker and a poet he's a content creator and, and speaking of gen z that was our conversation today many many gen zers like they want to be and grow up and be content creators and influencers and i, I even believe that listening to this show we have not just gen z that likes to create content we have a lot of content creators and so so we get to talk to tanner about how does he create content? Like, what are his writing rhythms? What does he learn? What does that even look like as a career? What, what is a poet, really? And so how has Tanner grown his influence over the last 10 years? And what's great about him is, is he's, he's a master storyteller. He's going to read a couple of his spoken word pieces to us on the air, and, and that's going to be a lot of fun. But I love the way that he blends humor and creativity. It's going to be a great episode. So how do you not miss that episode? How do you not miss it? Here's how. Whatever streaming platform you're on, whether it's YouTube and you're watching us or whether you're just listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of the other ones, hit the follow or the subscribe button and that way it'll automatically show up in your feed when it comes next week. So, disciples, we'll see you back next week. A Huda Media Production.